your word would tap on the hearts of the hearers. Help us to really hear about who you are and what you've done for us in Christ. So we praise you and give you thanks for this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, I meant to say, if you noticed the... Um, what version were you reading? What translation were you reading, Kathy? New King James or something. New King James or something, yeah. If you were following along in the... In uh, New Living Translation. New Living Translation, yeah. Um, if you were following along with this ESV, but you're listening to Kathy and you heard some uh, quite different translations there, that's really good, juicy stuff that I love to talk about, but I haven't filled out this message with it. If you want to talk about that sort of stuff, come hit me up and, and I'll, I'll certainly sit down and, and talk more about those um, quite obvious uh, translation differences there. It's the good stuff. Anyway, back to the sermon. Um, have you ever tried to, uh, to look up at the sun, like stare at the sun at midday? Nobody? Just, just me? A few people? Good, good. Come on. You've never, you've never gone out at lunchtime with your sandwich and juice and just thought, I'm going to give it a go. I have. I'll just... I have. You can't, you can't look for more than a second or two, right? You just can't. Um, but even though the, you know, even it's so bright, but do you know how far away the sun is from Earth? It's about, I didn't do these calculations, I'm trusting um, people far smarter than me. The, Earth, the sun is 150 million kilometres away from Earth, right? Yet we can't even look at it for two seconds. Uh, the sun's about 109 times wider than the Earth in, in diameter. And if, if the sun was hollow, it'd take a little over a million Earths to fill it up. It's pretty big, right? It's pretty enormous. Uh, but get this, in uh, 2020, they discovered another sun or a star that um, they've estimated that if it was hollow, it would take 10 billion of our suns to fill up. 10 billion of our suns to fill up. Um, how impressively awesome is the universe? Seriously. Um, but why am I talking about these big bright lights anyway? It's because Psalm 8 is actually like a beaming light that shines directly on the maker of heaven and earth. Uh, the majestic maker, this God of glory. Uh, you know, however impressive the universe is, God is 10 billion times more impressive than that. Now, Psalm 8 begins by giving glory to God. I'm getting this hum thing. It's kind of... I don't know what to do about that. It's kind of distracting me. That's okay. I'll just push through. Psalm 8 begins um, by giving glory to God, and then it shifts to consider uh, our relationship with God, how he interacts with his creation, and then it finishes by giving 
more glory to God. Uh, the title, oh, that's nice. The title of the psalm, the title of the psalm says, To the choir master, according to the Gittith, a psalm of David. Now, we're not sure what Gittith means. It's some sort of musical um, or liturgical um, phrase or, or direction. But we know that this psalm would have been sung and set the music. Uh, it's a psalm of David, right? David was the king of Israel from around 1000 BC. And this psalm is a, pair, a prayer and a poem uh, written by this king. The first thing that David tells us about this, uh, about God in this psalm, is that his excellence is everywhere, right? God's excellence is everywhere. I'll be finished adjusting by the end of our time, I'm sure. I'll get it right in the last minute. Um, yeah, David says his excellence is everywhere. Where does he say that? In verse 1. Let's have a listen. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. O Lord, our Lord. David, the king of Israel, he knows where to direct his praise, right? And it's straight to the source of all creation. That's where he goes, straight up. Yahweh, the, the maker of heaven and earth, the, the majestic maker of all creation. Now you see that the word Lord is used twice in verse 1. Uh, but if you look carefully at your Bible or up there, you'll see that um, the first time it's all in capitals. Uh, and as you probably know, this is the translation for God's personal name, Yahweh. Right? David's not talking about imaginary gods. He's not talking about fake gods. He's not talking about anything that's carved out of wood or stone or metal. Right? He's talking about the one true living God, Yahweh. And he says, O Yahweh, our Lord. Look closely at your Bible again, or up there, and you'll see the second time that Lord is printed. It has the capital L, and the lowercase O-R-D. Uh, so the first time he says Lord, he's actually using God's name. Uh, but here he's describing who Yahweh is to the people of Israel. Yahweh uh, is Lord. He is their master, right? He is the ruler. And this opening line puts everything into perspective straight away. Uh, because there's only one creator and sustainer of the universe, and that's Yahweh, no one else, no one else. And because of who he is, everything and everyone should uh, humble themselves under him, right? Everyone should um, glorify him, honour him, honour his holy name. And that's exactly what uh, David the king is doing in this psalm, right? He recognises the utter magnificence uh, and glory of the living God. You are so cute. Uh, that is, you know, God is good, isn't he? Making beautiful little children like that. Um, you know, the rest of the world may approach Yahweh with uh, contempt, right? Disrespect and dishonour. But they know, you know, if they only knew just a fraction 
of what God know, of what David knows about God, uh, they might start to think twice uh, about their attitude. You know, when we read the psalm, it seems like um, King David he's been in some deep thought about who God is. Uh, he's clearly been meditating upon the greatness of God, His power, His excellence, and after some prolonged thought, he. Uh, these words flow from his mouth. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. All right, the word majesty refers to the, to the absolute um, brilliance and beauty of all that God is. Right? It, it refers to his, his marvellous magnificence and epic excellence you know, in all of his glory in all that he is and that he uh, says and that he does. If you can't tell, I'm scratching for words to try and define the glory of God. This is not easy. Um, you know, there's, there's really no words that can do it justice, especially with my small vocabulary. Um, but, you know, this, this, this God, this Yahweh, there, he is preeminent. There, he, there is no one who surpasses him in anything, right? He is number one beyond that. He's number one on a whole other scale. How majestic is your name in all the earth? When David says his name is majestic, we need to understand um, that someone's name represents all of who they are, right? It's not just it's not like just saying, oh Stephen, oh I love the name Stephen, you know. He's talking about the whole character. So he's referring to the fullness of God in his character when he says, How majestic is your name in all the earth. And it's his name is majestic in all the earth, right? Um, the majesty of God can be seen throughout all the earth. It's everywhere. Right? His excellence is everywhere. You can see it. The majesty of God can be seen when you look at another human being. Right? When you see little Yoland cruising around, you think of the majesty of God. You see it when you look at, at birds and, and puppies and kittens, fluffy little bunnies. Um, when you look at the mountains and the seas and the rainbows, Right? His majesty can be seen in all the earth. You can smell it. When you walk past a rose bush in full bloom, or when you're out the front hosing your fresh you know, your lavender, or cutting rosemary up in the kitchen, right? you, can, you can actually um, you can smell the majesty of God. You know, think about the smell of the rain or a, or a warm wood fire. All these things should start sending our mind up to Lord, up to the Lord. His majesty can be smelt in all the earth. I never thought I'd be saying that sentence in my life, but it's true. Or you can feel it when the thunder claps and it, it rumbles through your body. Um, you know, when you run your fingers through your hair or pick up a handful of soil or sand, when you feel the warmth of the sun or the, the, the cool of the shade... His majesty can be felt in all the earth. You can hear it, the sound of a baby crying, the sweet song of the magpie. I love that song. 
Don't love the swooping, but I love the song. You know, the trees rustling in the wind, the sound of the crashing waves, his majesty can be heard in all of creation. You can taste it. Yes, you can even taste the majesty of God. You know, when you bite, hot summer's day, you bite into a cold, juicy mango. Or watermelon, whatever your favourite is. When you have a spoonful of honey or a mouthful of bacon, you know that his majesty can even be tasted in all the earth. Uh, you know, some of that, it might sound a little bit strange, but I, I think it's absolutely true. The details of life, you know, of the natural world, should set our mind on God, the majesty of God. You know, the beauty of his character is just found everywhere, isn't it? Um, it's everywhere in this world that he's created. There's intentional design in all of it. And he's given us that experience, uh, the ability to experience it all. Okay? And it's for this ultimate reason that we would glorify God and enjoy him forever. Right? This is the main purpose of our life, to glorify God. And so through our everyday experiences of life, we have countless opportunities to bless and praise Yahweh, right? to boast in him and to be glad in him, to magnify and exalt his name because of who he is and how he's displayed his awesome character all throughout creation, all throughout the earth. It is his world. It's his design. And he is Lord. He is Lord. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Right, David now shifts our view um, from down here on earth right up to the heavens and beyond. He's getting us to look up here now. Saying you have set your glory above the heavens. I did a quick search to find out uh, how big the observable universe is. Yes, I've done some Googling this week. Um, right now, it's measured in light years. The universe is a little large. It's measured in light years. So get this, one light year, this is all new to me, may not be to you, but I think it's cool. One light year equals about 9.5 trillion kilometres. That's one light year, right? 9.5 trillion kilometres. How big is the observable universe? Most answers were around 93 billion light years in diameter. That's 9.5 trillion kilometres times 93 billion or thereabouts. And I don't reckon they've seen the most of it. Bam. King David probably didn't know that. But he knows one thing that the God of glory extends beyond our known universe, right? You have set your glory above the heavens, he says, above the heavens. So whatever the most amazing thing that you've ever seen in creation, whatever that is, it's got nothing compared to the glory of God. Nothing at all, right? In fact, everything in creation... Everything in this whole entire universe 
put together is only a little sliver of the glory of God. It's only a taste. It's only a fraction. It's only a glimpse. Everything in creation says something about the glory of God, whether it's a microorganism uh, or our entire solar system, right? But it all pales in comparison to the glory of God. There's just there's no room for the full glory of God in this universe. It can't be contained. And we couldn't handle it. We couldn't handle it uh, if it was. Right? We can't even look at the sun for three seconds. It's no wonder that King David is happy to humble himself under this God. Right? His glory fills the earth, but it also extends beyond uh, the bounds of the universe. His glory is above the heavens. His excellence is truly everywhere. Now, I've been in this role... Excuse me. Getting dry. I've been in this role for eight months-ish or so, and, and though I'm, I'm certain about the calling on my life... There are times when I'm just kneeling down, praying to God, going, why would you have someone like me in this position? Um, are you sure, God? Are you sure that this dropkick that you scraped off the city streets is the, is the guy you want here? You know? I'm pretty slow... I'm not very smart. I look at the sun. <laughs> I'm not strong in any respect. And then, and then he often reminds me of the beautiful truth that's um, woven throughout Scripture and put this way in the New Testament. His power is made perfect in my weakness. God is pleased to use the weak and foolish things of this world um, to make his power and strength known. Um, his, his power is perfect. And, and David knew something of this truth when he says in verse 2, Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. Right? It's true that this glorious God uh, can use the weakest to achieve uh, his purposes. He uses the weak things of this world to do powerful things. And verse 2 illustrates it quite dramatically. He basically says, you know, if he wants a baby, if he wants to use a, a, something as, as you know, helpless and weak as a little baby to tame the strong, he'll do it. He can do it. His power is perfect. In Matthew 21, uh, verse 16, Jesus actually refers to this verse. Um, after his, you'll remember after his triumphal entry uh, into Jerusalem the week before he was crucified, countless people were praising him as a king as he was coming in to Jerusalem. And after that, he was in the temple area. Like he, he cleansed the temple, he flipped the tables, got the money um, changes out of there. 
and then he was in the temple area teaching and healing. Uh, and then children come over and start yelling out praise to him in the temple area. And they're crying out, Hosanna to the son of David. Right? They recognised that Jesus was sent from God. Uh, and in the larger context, these children are praising Yahweh for sending Jesus the Messiah, the Christ, the Saviour. Right? And as you know, the religious leaders at that time hated Jesus uh, and they got really angry uh, when they heard these little children praising God for him. And Jesus said to the religious leaders, he stopped them in, in, his, in their tracks with these words after those actions of the kids. Have you never read? Out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise Now, the praise that came out of the mouths of the children was effectively used by God to stop the enemies of Jesus. It was used against the enemies of Jesus. Um, in Matthew, the conversation ends and the, it seems like the, the Pharisees tootle off. Right? These pra- this praise of the weak ones became a strength that God used in his favour. See, his power is perfect. No one is too weak to be used by God. His power is made perfect in our weakness. And so these somewhat prophetic words of David were used by Jesus hundreds of years later uh, to display the perfect uh, power and plan of God. And through the little ones, the, the glory of God was made known. And through each one of us, too, everyone here, we can be used in the similar way, right, to, to make the glory of God known. And so we should. We should seek that from God. You know, that's why God scraped me off the city streets. Transformed my life completely to show his power, his strength. And now the task of my life is to glorify God. And I've searched everywhere for happiness. I've looked everywhere. And there is nowhere, there is nothing that comes close than to glorify God in my life. And I'm not just talking about here. Anyway, it's for everybody. Our weakness is made perfect. Our weakness becomes a strength when God gets a handle of us. His power is perfect. God's excellencies are everywhere. His power is perfect. And his sovereignty is significant. His sovereignty is significant. Verses 5 to 8 get us thinking about our relationship with this sovereign God of the universe. Right, maybe this time I'll get a few more hands. Have you ever looked up into a clear night sky? Right, no sun. Clear night sky. You see all these stars, the moon and everything, and just gone. I am a speck of dust. Some puny little human... Floating half upside down, spinning around, just 
speck of dust. I get the feeling that's what David was thinking in verses 3 to 4. He says, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? The immensity of this universe can make us seem fairly insignificant. But the big question here is, who are we as human beings? Who are we? And the truth is, we'll never understand exactly who we are until we understand ourselves in relation to God within the framework of his creation, within the framework of his universe. The sovereignty of God is significant to understand who we are. Because in his sovereignty, right, this glorious God has made human beings in his glorious image. Right? We're not God, nor any type of God, but we've been made like him. We're certainly not animals. We're people. We are image bearers of the living God. When a man and a woman have a baby, uh, that baby bears something of their image, right? It takes on the character and qualities of the parents. And so God has made every human in his image. We are not God, but we are like him. We're created beings who are actually insignificant when compared to the living God. Um, but God has chosen in his sovereign grace to crown us with glory and honour, right? Because we bear his image. And I know there's many days, maybe most, where you don't feel too glorious or too honourable. But it's there in your makeup. It's in, it, God has bestowed that upon you by nature of being a human being. We bear his image, we, we have a dignity above all other creation. Humans are more important than animals or plants because we bear the image of God. Now, verses 5 to 8, they're filled with references to the creation account found in Genesis 1 and 2. And just as in Genesis, uh, humans were made lower than God, but higher than all creation, than the rest of creation. Psalm 8, verse 5 says, you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honour. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. And then he goes on to list various types of creatures, land animals, birds, everything under the sea, to illustrate that we are above all these things. Now, the word translated heavenly beings is actually the same word used in Genesis 1.1, uh, for God. Um, and essentially, we're all, uh, we're all under the sovereign rule of God. And in his sovereignty, he's chosen to put us over all creation, under God, over creation. It's why humans rule the world and not a bunch of apes. Right? Humans are different to all other creatures. We are the pinnacle of creation because we bear the image of God. We are thinking, choosing, creative beings. We have a conscience. We have moral standards. We care about justice. 
That's why you don't see animals setting up law courts like we do. Because they don't bear the image of God. Right? They're beautiful beasts, but they haven't been crowned with glory and honour by God like we have. Right? We are meant to rule over creation. We are, we are to take care of God's world. And so we must humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God who, in the beginning, created the heavens and the earth. See, the sovereignty of God is significant. You'll never understand who you really are until you see yourself in the framework of God's creation. But if there's no God, if he didn't make anything, and it's all an accident, guess what the logical conclusion to that is? Your life is absolutely pointless. You have no real value. You don't matter at all. At all. You're nothing but a splodge, an accident that lives a few decades, suffers with fear, anxiety, depression, and then vanishes. But the magnificent and glorious God has formed this universe by the work of his hands. He put the sun and the moon and the stars in place and he cares for you. He's mindful of you. He formed the earth, filled up the oceans and set their boundaries. And he formed us, filled us with his image and set our boundaries. So your life does matter. It does have purpose. It does have meaning and value. You and I get to glorify God and rule over his creation. You see, his sovereignty is significant. And we get to rule over creation, but we don't get to be God. That's why the world's in such a mess, right? Because everyone's trying to be the sovereign one. Everyone's the centre of the universe. Instead of submitting to his powerful and glorious rule. Instead of taking their God-given place in his framework, in his universe. And we're all guilty of this in different ways. Right? We've, we've all ignored the glory of God and tried to glorify ourselves in different ways. Um, you know, in one respect, in God's eyes... We're all glory thieves, making ourselves the centre. And as he says in the New Testament, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's us. Right? We've worshipped lesser things. We've rebelled against this true sovereign God. And this has separated us from God. This has wrecked our relationship with him. According to God, this is sin, and the penalty for sin is death. The wages for sin is death, and judgment, and condemnation. But, but thankfully, because he's mindful of us, because he cares for us, like a good father who takes care of his children, he's not willing to leave our relationship in such a mess. 
Because of his great love for us, he pursued us. And that's why this awesome God, this impressively awesome God, took on flesh. God became a man and entered into his own creation. His glory is above the heavens, but his glory came down in Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 1 describes Jesus this way. Jesus is the appointed heir of all things who also created the world. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Ephesians chapter 1 tells us that all things are being put under the feet of Jesus Christ, which means he is over all things. See, Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is this majestic God that we've been talking about. Jesus is the one who this, the spotlight of Psalm 8 is shining on. Right? Jesus is the one who is worthy of our worship and praise and honour. Is this the God you worship? The one who laid his life down for you? The one who died on the cross for your sins and mine? The one who, who came to reconcile the glory thieves back to God? The one who came to fix our worship problem? That's the heart of it. Jesus left the glory of heaven to make the way for you and I to be made right with God again. And there's nothing we can do except confess that we, you know, we've fallen short of his glory and trust that Jesus has paid for all that sin, past, present, future, in full. And we know he has. We can believe his word. That's the good news of the cross, right? This God of glory left it, left the glories of heaven. That cross wasn't so glorious, was it? All who trust in Jesus will never, ever be condemned. Never. But at the moment of death, in the twinkling of an eye, we will be in glory with Jesus Christ. Amen. Like that. Quicker than a light year. What a marvellous God we've got. He's certainly worthy of our worship. He gives us life and purpose and eternal life to those who trust in Christ. Well, since the ultimate purpose of our life is to give glory to God and enjoy him forever. Gavin, could you throw verse 9 up, please? thought we could read verse 9 together. This is where David finishes. He started up here, he came down, and he's gone back up. Let's read verse 9 together if you can see that. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we, we praise your holy name. It, I found it hard, Lord, to find words 
There are no words that can describe accurately who you are. You are glorious. Help us to consider the glorious Christ, the sacrifice he made for us. But also help us to remember the sure and certain hope that we have, that glory awaits us in a twinkling of an eye. Oh, praise you, Lord God, and bless your holy name. In Jesus' name, amen.